Welcome to the Future Tech edition of the Finding Genius podcast. Forget frequently asked questions, forget common sense, common knowledge, or Googling for information. How about advice from a genius in their field instead? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are the geniuses of their profession. Richard has made it his life's mission to interview the geniuses of their fields in areas such as AI, 3D printing, quantum computing, blockchain and Bitcoin, and more. Don't miss out on amazing podcasts with geniuses. Review us on iTunes or wherever you listen and go to futuretech.findinggeniuspodcast.com and subscribe today. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Finding Genius podcast series. I have Leslie Chengsim. Uh, she's a research officer in the area of biochemistry. Uh, she has a PhD, um, has done postdoctoral research. Uh, she was awarded a Bachelor of Medical Science at La Trobe University and honors from the National University. Um, a lot of great background and research. Um, now we're going to be talking about extracellular vesicles, which I've been talking about quite a bit lately. But uh, the area is so big and so huge and so interesting, it's going to take countless researchers to figure it out. So, Leslie, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Yep, thank you. Thanks for having me, Fiction. I'm glad to see that um, extracellular vesicles has sparked your interests as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've spoken to uh, you know actually probably over almost two dozen uh, scientists about it so far. But um, what, what, so what what got you interested in EVs and what uh, particular niche or part of the area are you working in? Um, actually, I joined Professor Andy Hill's lab in uh, 2011, and he started working on extracellular vesicles um, just a couple of years before that. Um, but his lab was working on neurodegenerative diseases, and what was interesting that at the time, they started to find um, an enrichment of neurotoxic proteins in exosomes, which is one population of extracellular vesicles. And it sort of went from there. And um, the field of extracellular vesicles has really come to light in the last 10 to 12 years. And so it's a relatively new research area. Uh, and there's, there's just been a huge exponential increase of publications in this area. And we've been lucky to be one of the labs who started it at the beginning. So it's been really fruitful. Um, and when I joined the lab, I... I actually didn't know what extracellular vesicles was. During my PhD, I was studying neuronal death, uh, and we did a lot of preconditioning treatments with the cell culture medium to see whether cell culture medium could rescue cells um, or stress cells um, in a neuronal death setting. Uh, and be known to me that it could have been extracellular vesicles communicating and um, recovering these cells from cell death. So if I knew this during my PhD, it would have been wonderful. Uh, but now I particularly look at extracellular vesicles in a, in a diagnostic way. That's my reason. Well, okay, so what are you specifically trying to figure out about them? Is it EVs from a certain tissue? Is it uh, what they contain? I mean, like, what's specifically, what are you trying to figure out? Yeah, so in our lab, we have three major research programs. So we are trying to understand the role of exosomes in the pathology of neurodegenerative diseases, in particular Alzheimer's disease. 
And then we actually um, have several methods to be able to isolate exosomes from the blood. And we can use these as diagnostic tools for, um, to diagnose neurodegenerative disease. That's my main focus. And trying to exploit the exosomes as a vehicle to deliver therapeutics. So um, the three main neurodegenerative diseases we study in the lab is Alzheimer's, Parkinson's and prion disease. Um, and we have very, we have different clinical cohorts here in Australia and worldwide where we have collections um, and um, we recruit patients um, to donate their blood. Uh, and we've been doing various discovery studies where we collect the exosomes from the blood uh, and we are able to profile the ex So the exosomes mainly contain um, RNA and protein. Uh, and what we're particularly interested in is uh, the microRNA. So microRNA is a short uh, 22 nucleotide RNA species that is um, that's, that functions as a silencer um, in gene expression. However, they get packaged into exosomes uh, within the cell and then they get, uh, as the exosome gets secreted from the cell, it ends up in the bloodstream and by collecting blood and isolating the exosomes, we can basically um, crack the exosomes open and profile them using um, deep sequencing or next generation deep sequencing. So we've been yeah, but who's uh, who's sending and who's receiving in the diseases? What what cell types creating them? What cell type is receiving them? And then you know, mm -hmm. if you're looking in the blood, there's tons of stuff in there from all kinds of cell types. How do you figure out what's yeah. what's yours and what's not? So at the moment, we look at the total circulating population of exosomes. Uh, however, um, we can capture neuronal derived exosomes using um, antibodies specific to neuronal markers on the exosomes. So another aspect of our work is trying to also understand how these exosomes, for example, from neurons of the brain, uh, bypass the blood-brain barrier to get into the bloodstream where we can then isolate neuronal-specific exosomes uh, and have um, and determine whether they're more enriched in neuronal markers or um, neuronal-specific microRNA uh, that would give us a diagnostic read, um, more like a liquid biopsy of the brain. Do you think you'd ever be able to culture a particular target cell type and, you know, uh, put them in some kind of matrix in vivo, see what exosomes they're taking in, take them out, you know, crack them open and see what... Uh, what particular yeah. exosomes they've taken in. Is that a possibility? That's a possibility. So in cell culture, we can um, dissect different populations of cells. So we can look at microglia, neuronal cells, astrocytes, etc., And then they will produce exosomes um, in culture. And then you collect those exosomes and do profiling on those. Um, and then um, with the, if you do, for example, RNA sequencing, uh, you will see potentially many microRNA species that overlap across the cell types, or you, and then you can find specific ones. But um, it's quite limited with this sort of technology and um, the depth of sequencing. So it, um, you might find specific or novel um, RNA markers across these cell lines, but it's just a matter of whether 
one cell line um, is expressing one particular microRNA seed more abundantly compared to another. Uh, so there is some limitations to that. So it's quite challenging then. Well, how do you know that um, it's the neuronal cells that are giving off the exosomes you care to look at, you know, for a particular condition? And again, do you know, like, you've identified for sure, okay, it's these cells as the, as the creators, and then who is receiving them? Is that preferential? And how preferential? Yeah, we could label them. So um, in a culture setting, you can imagine, even if you were culturing one particular cell type, uh, one that um, in any one moment, cells are secreting exosomes, uh, and those exosomes could be taken up just next, uh, could just be taken up with the cell next door. So it's really hard to differentiate which exosome is being created, which one's being taken up. Um, but potentially through labeling um, and microscopy, you could uh, trace the exosome um, where it's going. Uh, some labs have done microfluidic type of experiments where there's um, a channel in between um, two chambers and they will seed uh, particular cells, either the same type cell type or two different cell types on one of the chambers and then uh, a different cell type on another chamber, which is separated by a channel. You will see a particular exosome um, coming through the channel and whether it gets taken up by the second chamber. So that's um, quite interesting where you can study those type of um, well, if, if we're to assume that exosomes are not just created randomly, they're deterministic and the cell is creating them specifically in form another cell type of its condition or to instruct another cell type to do something, that yeah. tells you that there's, you know, preferentiality in the creation and, you know, the receiving of them. What about the mechanism by which, you know, I know there's various mechanisms of the biogenesis of them, you know, they, mm -hmm. the vest, you know, it's vesiculation and they butt off or they come from the inside of the cell. But what about on the receiving end? Have you or anyone observed cells taking the exosomes in? And are there various ways in which they take them in? And is there a determination of what they will take in and what they will not take in? Or do they take everything in? There is a selective mechanism. So there are, uh, you can look by microscopy, um, for example, transmission electron microscopy, where you can um, definitely see EVs being taken up. Um, into cells. Uh, you, we do understand that there are several um, mechanisms that do um, allow exosomes to enter the cells, but actually we don't know how often this happens. So uh, when we do treat cells with exosomes and whether we label the exosomes and then put them on top of potential recipients, um, the uptake is actually surprisingly quite low. So we still don't understand um, the features or the characteristics that are required on an exosome that allows a cell to decide whether they should take that up or not. So that's still quite a challenging area and um, something that still needs to be further investigated. But for um, now... Is it, does, it, does it seem like the, um, the recipient cell membrane has preferential sites? That, that the exosomes bind to and then go through the, the lipid bilayer or any guesses on, as to the mechanism? Uh, in particular, in any sites, that's, um, I'm not sure if there's any specific sites. Um, in terms of um, microRNA, uh, there is 
really it's a really unknown area so it's quite it's it's we're still trying to explore how these exosomes do get taken up by um, certain mechanisms there are the classical ways so you have endos um, endocytosis you have um, the snare complex the catherin coded complexes um, very similar to um, the other type of microvesicle um, mechanisms that get taken up by the cells or the snare complexes that you see with synaptic vesicles. Um, so they're, they're the, the same classical endocytosis pathways, um, but the most mysterious bit is really what is allowing which exosome to enter the cell and um, what are the properties of the exosome that allows the cell to um, take that, what determines which exosome should be taken up or, or not. So that one, that particular question is quite challenging. Yeah, I mean, I've heard of like tunneling nanotubes that, you know, yeah. cells can literally connect to each other. And I heard they yeah. share organelles and all kinds of crazy yeah. stuff. The, the classical way of cell-to-cell -cell communication, uh, we know um, prior to, Prior to the discovery of exosomes is the nanotunneling where cells uh, have this tunnel between them and they can pass proteins and RNA across to each other. Obviously, there's also cell-to-cell -cell contact uh, and that, and in particular, infectious diseases like the diseases we study, um, like prion disease, uh, where neurotop proteins be passed from one to another uh, via cell-to-cell -cell contact. That's pretty obvious. Uh, but some of these diseases, they um, certain organs from distant sites of the body get infected. So this is um, where we believe exosomes are. Uh, and my work really just looks at how we can use exosomes as diagnostic markers. So whether these exosomes um, are secreted from diseased tissue um, and then they enter the bloodstream and the ability to be able to use them as a liquid biopsy and provide a diagnosis, um, hopefully an early diagnosis for patients. So what is your particular area of, of expertise, you feel like, in the EV world? Is it um, being able to identify, you know, given a, a blood sample, separate mm -hmm. the noise from the, uh, the signal and find out, okay, these microRNAs came from this cell type? What would you say is your focus? Yeah, so one of the reasons why we use exosomes um, as our diagnostic tool is because we do find an enrichment of um, disease indicators in exosomes compared to, say, um, looking at meat um, blood. So one of my um, earlier studies was really to, to, to determine whether it was necessary to even go that extra step to isolate for exosomes because practically in a... Uh, diagnostic lab, the methods that are used to isolate exosomes, they don't have that sort of equipment in diagnostic labs. So to ensure that um, there was a reason that we should look, uh, look into exosomes, um, I did a study on uh, comparing uh, the, neat, the neat blood volume versus an enrichment of exosomes. So upon doing that um, and comparing the two different sample types, we could see that disease indicators in particular for neurodegenerative, um, the disease indicators associated with these conditions were enriched in exosome samples. Uh, and by having them more enriched in exosome samples, the signal to noise ratio is much better. Uh, and so 
what happens when the signal to noise ratio is much better is that uh, we get this concentration of these disease decaders. Uh, and when there's early pathology changes in the brain, um, these disease indicators are already present in the exosomes, whereas they would have been diluted in the whole blood if you hadn't um, enriched for exosomes. So it, by, the, by doing an enrichment with exosomes, we're able to pick up early indicators of changes in the brain. Uh, and this provides us an early readout of what could be happening in the brain and in these patients and giving them an early diagnosis. So what are some of the biomarkers that you're able to pick up and what's the significance of, of certain ones being elevated? Yeah, so what we did um, in an initial discovery study, uh, so we had a cohort of patients um, that were clinically diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and then obviously a, a cohort of healthy controls. We isolated the, um, the exosomes from their serum uh, and did uh, next generation deep sequencing on the ex blood exosomes. And what we found was uh, a panel of 16 different microRNA species that were either down-regulated or up-regulated in Alzheimer's disease patients compared to healthy controls. So those 16 biomarkers, um, we call them, uh, they're associated with Alzheimer's disease. And so in various validation studies, we then um, got several, a new different cohort um, and screened them with these 16 microRNA biomarkers. And we've been able to obtain greater than 98% accuracy for um, predicting Alzheimer's disease in these patients. So now uh, we're, we are trying to um, move this into the clinic. Uh, but meanwhile, we're also looking for panels for Parkinson's disease and also other neurodegenerative diseases as well, using the same technique. Are you looking just for an increase in certain microRNAs? Is there a subsequent decrease in other ones that, that would normally show up in larger amounts in healthy people? Or is there just an increase in certain ones? No, they're both. So some of them are an increase and some of them are a decrease. And what we find okay. is um, that when we do do... So so with the microRNA analysis, we can also do pathway analysis. So each microRNA can target several um, genes, whether to silence, in most cases, silence the gene expression um, or regulate gene expression. So what we found with the pathway analysis is that uh, many of the microRNA that we picked up during the unbiased um, sequencing actually target genes involved in Alzheimer's disease, which was really great uh, feedback in that um, those that were upregulated in these patients uh, actually are associated with Alzheimer's disease. So back in the lab to validate the function of these microRNAs, uh, we are overexpressing these particular microRNAs in cell lines uh, and having a look to see whether we can confirm um, that these microRNAs are actually associated with genes with, um, that are known um, to be involved in Alzheimer's disease, such as APP, um, that is involved in um, the, the, the creation of amyloid beta, which is the neurotoxic protein involved in Alzheimer's disease, uh, and to see whether we can even package that particular microRNA in exosomes, re-deliver it, to correct gene expression. How do you know that um, you're at the start of the chain or the start of the cascade? You know, so these 
neuronal cells, their, their microRNA expression profile or predominance profile is different. You know, some there's a lot more, some there's a lot less. But what caused them to have an altered, you know, emission of, of exosomes? Can you go back one step further in the chain? Yeah, that's an interesting question. We don't know what comes. Um, we, from what we've seen is we can actually detect microRNA changes before messenger RNA changes, which then you would, which then you would say that's where you start to see protein changes and then changing the changes in pathology um, of the tissue, whether it's the brain or an organ, for example, in cancer. So uh, what we've done in, we have several mice models, longitudinal mice study, where we have done um, deep sequencing um, and looked at the expression changes across time. And what we see is what I just mentioned, we can pick up microRNA changes much earlier on before um, the changes in pathology are observed or even clinical symptoms in, in the mice. So that really helps us support the idea that our microRNA um, blood test is able to give us an early diagnosis of particular diseases. There are people um, who are looking at messenger RNA markers, obviously changes in protein. Um, but actually what we're finding is we can, we can look for microRNA and that happens before everything gets. And with the enrichment of microRNA and exosomes, that really gives us um, a, a preclinical diagnosis. So at the moment, um, we also have a longitudinal collection um, of these patients with Alzheimer's disease. So for the patients that where our blood test has predicted them to have Alzheimer's disease, we actually have their blood going back uh, five, six years ago. So these particular patients have been coming to the clinic every 18 months for the past 10 years. This is called the um, Australian Imaging Biomarkers Lifestyle Studying of Aging, ABLE. Um, and so what we've been able to do is go back into the blood bank, um, get their bloods back five years ago, uh, and determine at what point the microRNA expression changes do happen. And what we find is that we're able to actually pick, pick this up three years before them presenting with symptoms. So um, that really gives us great confidence that we're heading the right direction with our blood test. Do you think that there's, um, so we have, uh, I guess I look at uh, the cells that create the, uh, the EVs and then the cell types that receive them and are altered by them. But is there a, um, is it circular? you know, the target cells, are you looking at the EVs that they emit, that they give off, and, you know, do they have certain microRNAs or messenger RNAs that are now different that affect the original cell that uh, tried to influence them, the neuronal cell, for instance, and thereby changes them? Is it circular? Can you tell? No, I don't think you can tell. Um, the way I see it is if a cell secretes an exosome, of microRNA, whether it's from a, a disease setting or a healthy setting, and a cell then receives it, it's up to that recipient cell to use what it wants to use from the exosome it's taken up. And either it secretes what it didn't need, um, keeps what it needs, secretes what it doesn't need, 
um, and passes it on to the next cell. That's um, a whole different other area. We haven't been able to see whether an exosome that gets taken up is then straight away secreted again. Because if you think about it, once it gets secreted, uh, once it gets received by a cell, um, we don't know whether the whole exosome gets taken up or whether the lipid membrane just gets fused with the plasma membrane into the contents. The contents get emptied, and then once the contents are free, they're basically swimming in the cytosol. So how does that then get wrapped back up in an exosome and get secreted back out? So that, that's yeah. also okay. a mysterious box that we, we don't know. It's hard to catch, even by microscopy, a full exosome coming into a cell and exiting straight away. Yeah, you can't just use light microscopy and watch it, right? It's, no, it's, so, it's so the microscopy is getting better um, every year. So we have super resolution microscopy, which is getting better as time goes on. And we're hoping to be able to utilize that technology to see whether we can see whole exosomes getting taken up. And that um, particular area is of interest to me because what we want to do is to be able to um, mimic a blood-brain barrier in, in vitro and image that, you know, catch that actually happening. So we know that neuronal cells in the brain produces exosomes. We know we can capture them in the blood, but we've been unable to actually see the evidence that those exosomes are bypassing the blood-brain barrier. And it might be that in these diseases um, that the blood-brain barrier is just compromised uh, and it's leaky and the exosomes go, just go through tight junction gaps rather than going through a whole cell. So that's quite mysterious too. Uh, we really want to know what mechanism um, that allows an exosome from a neuron in the brain to fully come across the blood-brain barrier into the bloodstream. Uh, whether that actually does occur or it needs um, the brain to be compromised for exosomes to actually bypass. Yeah, gotcha. Well, hmm, lots of questions. Very good. Um, <laughs> uh, for now, we're just about out of time. What's the best way for people to follow your research and learn more? Um, they can contact me via email if you want to put that up on your website. Um, you mm -hmm. can just Google me. My my scientific name is actually Leslie Cheng. So if you just Google me on that. I also have a TEDx talk that's on YouTube um, that I talk about my diagnostics there. Uh, so I am out there on, on the web. So happy for everybody to reach out in that way. Okay, very good. Well, Leslie, thanks for coming. I appreciate it. Sure, thank you. You've been listening to the Future Tech Edition of the Finding Genius Podcast. This podcast is information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed. Review us on iTunes or wherever you listen and subscribe today by going to futuretech.findinggeniuspodcast.com.